Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 37. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, this is Laura Reagan, your host for Therapy Chat. Welcome back to the Practice Building Series. Today's episode is the second in my eight-episode series of Practice Building Podcasts. It's actually nine, so there's kind of a bonus episode. But today I'm super excited because my guest is the host of a very successful podcast and a business consultant and coach and private practice clinician. My guest is Joe Sanok, who is a licensed counselor and owner of the Traverse City Counseling Clinic Mental Wellness Counseling. He's also a small business consultant helping businesses optimize structure through psychology and marketing principles. Joe is the host of the very well-known podcast called Practice of the Practice, and he has a second podcast called How to Become a Consultant. You can find Joe online at www.practiceofthepractice.com, and you can find his podcast on iTunes. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, LinkedIn, and you can sign up for his newsletter. But you're going to want to tune into this episode because Joe shares so many practical tips and strategies for running your business efficiently, effectively, with high productivity, very little wasted time. And just gives you tons of ideas on ways to set your practice up so that it gives you as much time as possible to do the other things that you love in your life besides work. Be sure to go back and listen to the first episode in this series in which I spoke with Colleen Mullen, the host of Coaching Through Chaos, about entrepreneur burnout. And Joe talks about that subject as well in this episode. So obviously it's something... I'm really passionate about because I keep bringing it up. (laughs) So I hope you'll enjoy this episode. Let's go ahead and get started. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. Today, my guest is Joe Sanok. Thank you so much for being here, Joe. Thanks for having me, Laura. Oh, I'm really glad that you could do it. So let's jump right in. You're an entrepreneur, husband, father, counselor, owner of a group practice, and a host of not one, but two podcasts. 
one of which is daily. That completely blows my mind. <laughs> and you have your blog, plus you write for Psych Central as well, right? I do. Yep. All of that's true. And there may be other things you do, too, that I'm not even thinking of. But how do you find the time to do all that? I think, Laura, when I think back to like my career, it was kind of essential for a while. So when I think back to 2012, when I launched Practice of the Practice, uh, I had this small group practice that was on the side. I was working full time at a community college as a counselor there, and I was doing maybe four to six sessions a week. So mostly like Monday and Tuesday nights, I would have it. And then I had a couple other people that were part time in the office as well. And it was really just meant to be this kind of side thing that paid for vacations and, you know, gave me extra money to just put into our house. It wasn't ever something that I thought, like, I'm going to leave this this county job that had really good benefits. Um, And then in 2012, uh, my daughter had open heart surgery. Uh, I had thyroid cancer. My wife had a miscarriage and just a ton of things just fell apart in our family. My my mom was just kind of coming over um, having cancer. And my brother got divorced. I mean, all these things that just like our family got hit so hard that year. And so in having just the private practice on the side and then starting this blog to just talk about what I was learning in marketing, really every minute that I spent away from my family, I had to justify to myself why I wasn't hanging out with my daughter who was going to have heart surgery or why if I'm going through cancer, I'm spending time blogging or doing other things. And so from the very beginning, I had a very lean mentality where I cut as much of the unnecessary fat out of things in my practice and in practice of the practice. And then as things got better for the Sanok family, um, in 2013, I launched the podcast and really still had that mentality. Uh, And it wasn't until March of 2015 that I fully left my full-time job. Um, But I had showed up at work one day and I was walking down the stairs and I remember thinking to myself that the amount of money that I could make in one hour of working was almost equivalent to the whole week of of work at this place um, because of the consulting fees that I was charging at that time. And I was just like, I'm losing money by being here. Like, Mm. I built this thing that is making more money than my full-time job working five to 10 hours a week. Like, what would happen if I left? And so my wife and I started having a lot of conversations. More, it was myself convincing myself. My wife was on board from the beginning. Like, yeah, you could work 25 hours a week. That sounds awesome. So, yeah. uh, so uh, really, I think at the core of it was that I started having to be super lean with how I ran my practice and how I ran my website. Well, thank you for sharing the the personal stuff you had going on at the same time. And it's just astounding that you were able to do so much through all of that because, I mean, it's hard enough when you're healthy and you know, your family's not struggling with, you know, issues that people deal with throughout life um, to to build something like this. But um, I think that's really amazing. And one thing that just jumped out at me and what you were saying is so many of us who start private practices um, keep another job like your stable job, quote unquote, that gives you a steady paycheck and sort of gives you that reassurance that you will have enough money coming in. But um, it can be really hard for people to let go of that, like you mentioned. Um, I know I kept a a side job and I, I mean, I had a part-time job when I started my practice and I kept both until 
the practice was making as much as the other job. And I felt confident that I could, you know, at least replace that income and then let it grow. But I see so many therapists who say, you know, I, I'm exhausted and burnt out doing both, but I feel like I have to keep that other job. I'm just afraid I won't be able to make it if I go out on my own. And how did, how did you get through that? Yeah. You know, I, when we were having those conversations, I ran a ton of different kind of scenarios and it started with what's it really take for the Sanok family to survive for a month. So if, if things were really bare bones, like what would our food budget be? How much like could we cut back on going out and things like that? And when I saw how little it actually was, if, you know, we weren't going to maintain the, not that we have like a luxurious lifestyle, we're pretty frugal people. We paid off all of our debt um, before we had kids and, um, you know, we're on a 15 year mortgage for our house. So we we try to be really smart with our money. Um, But I think that looking at, okay, what's the the minimum that I would actually have to bring in to pay for health insurance? Because that's a non-negotiable to pay for the house, to eat, to do all these things. Uh, so we started there and then worked backward and said, so what would that take? So if I'm charging 185 per session or 195 per session, um, I have a now it's a nine person private pay private practice where we don't accept insurance. So if I brought on one more person that even saw three more people a week, like what would that ha- what would have to happen for us to do that? And so just kind of reverse engineering what it actually took. And when I saw how much I actually had to bring in per week, uh, it took a lot of that fear away because I was already doing that. Mm. And so I think starting there, uh, I think it's really smart to have a part-time job or a full-time job outside of your practice as you launch it, because you can take risks that the average person that is fully dependent on their practice can't take. And so you can say, you know what, I don't want to take insurance or I don't want to take that insurance or I want to try to be private pay or you know, kind of whatever your imagination within your code of ethics allows I think that having that stable income for a chapter of your business growth is really a smart idea. Now, what happens sometimes is people have this false security that somehow having that full-time job is helping them move forward in life. And that's where I think a lot of people get trapped because in most full-time jobs, the only way to make more money is to become a supervisor. And what comes with being a supervisor is usually being on call, having more responsibility, more hours. So that's less time you can then put into your private practice. And so, I mean, it's rare for people to get a five or even 10%, you know, uh, raise each year. And just to keep up with inflation, costs of insurance, all of those things, you're really losing money every year that you stay at a full-time job in most cases. And so, and so making sure that you're looking at, okay, I'm making the same amount I made last year, but my health insurance just went up or the amount I have to contribute to, you know, other people's pension or whatever your situation is, the longer you often stay at that full-time job, the harder it's going to be to leave and you're going to make less money and not be able to put in that time to your private practice. Yeah. So do you have any advice for people who are just feeling that I, you know, that fear that, well, I might not be able to make it, you know, what? What can people do? Yeah, well, one thing, I I actually have a blog post. I took all of this. I figured I had made all of these like Excel spreadsheets to run numbers and such. And I had a guy in Eastern Europe I found uh, on Upwork.com that coded it out to have actually a calculator on my website for when you can leave your full-time job. Um, So I'll give you a link to that for the show notes because what you can do is you can enter in your salary, look at your current pay stub and look at exactly how many clients you would need for it to match up. So you can do all that math without having to do all that math. Um, so I would start, I would start there, um, uh, in using that when to leave your full-time job, uh, calculator on practice of the practice.com. 
And then uh, start to look at kind of some of the the realistic options. So if you're seeing one person a week, it's probably not time to leave your full-time job. But if you're seeing 10 people a week um, or opening up an evening for six months or opening up a Saturday for six months, pushing yourself to kind of do a sprint, but viewing it as a sprint, that it's not going to be a marathon where you're going to be working 60 hours a week forever. But the intentional goal is that you're going to get enough momentum in that private practice that when you leave your full-time job, that you've got that momentum and it's not just crickets when you leave and then you're pushed up against a wall and then you just go get another full-time job. Wow. That's, that's great. So I, and I love the practical um, tip with the calculator. That's a really awesome resource. So I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. So um, I've really watched your practice grow. You know, we, we haven't talked before today other than through Facebook, but um, I've been watching from, <laughs> from afar, you know, as <laughs> and I've listened to your podcast. I can't say I listen all the time, but I definitely have listened to it and learned from it already. And I see how on your blog, you've been very transparent about how much you're bringing in per month. And it's very inspiring for anyone who wants to grow a private practice to see how, you know, it started off as side income, like you mentioned, and how much you're bringing in, you know, month by month, how it's increased and exactly what the different sources were for your income. Um, So let me say, first of all, congratulations on your success. Oh, thank you. How did you come up with the ideas to get you to where you are now from starting working at that county job and having the side practice? I mean, even I don't know if you want to start with before you had the people working under you. um, How did you get from being in private practice on the side to where you are now with these multiple businesses and just a true, super successful entrepreneur? Well, it's funny. I don't. I mean, I think of myself as just taking one step in front of the the next. Um, so, thinking of myself as a super successful entrepreneur. <laughs> thank you for saying that, because um, you know, every day, you know, there's there's things that I'm like, is this going to work? Should I try this? And, and I think part of it is uh, that idea of not being paralyzed by perfection. Uh, mm. That. It, it's almost all like a great big experiment. Like I'm going to try something. I'm going to see what works and it might not work and I'm going to stop doing it. Uh, and Or maybe I'm going to change it or I'm going to you know add something else to it. So having that idea of your practice and e-products or e-books or whatever you're brainstorming, I think it's really important to kind of see it as an experiment rather than a place that you're going to land or having the perfect practice because – the perfect practice, and I do that with air quotes, uh, right now is going to look different than what maybe the perfect practice is in a year. There's going to be changes in law. There's going to be changes in what works with online. There's going to be changes all the time. So for me, a lot of my ideas came from looking outside of the counseling industry. And so listening to business podcasts, I, I love Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income podcast. And um, he really was kind of the, the inspiration for at least the monthly income reports. He did that well before me. So does John Lee Dumas uh, and a bunch of other people online. But that wasn't being done in the counseling world. And I think that so frequently uh, we have 
just this money shame that comes with being a counselor, social worker, MFT, um, whatever our initials are. So often I feel like we're taught if you make money, then somehow you're bad. And if you are poor, then you're a martyr and then you're helping people. Uh, And I don't buy into that personally. And I think there's rich people that are amazing. I think there's poor people that may not be amazing. I mean, it's, that's not to me the thing that makes the person good or bad. It's what they choose to do with whatever resources they have. And so starting with that and saying, okay, in our industry right now, people don't really talk about money in a way that I think is healthy. I think that we talk about debt like it's just something that we do. Uh, I don't think that's healthy. And so how do I show what I'm doing and if it works? And so the first month, I think it was like I made a thousand bucks extra as my side gig. And so I had a handful of counseling people, didn't have many other streams of income. And then as I had ideas, uh, I started promoting, say, the hosting that I use, uh, Bluehost, through uh, Practice of the Practice and Mental Wellness Counseling. And so get an affiliate fee for you know those referrals. And then I started to create some blog posts that helped people walk through that. And you know over time, there is a lot of content that's created. And instead of it just all appearing at once. And so you're looking at four years of content building. And so taking one step in front of the next and what's a reasonable thing. So, for example, uh, earlier in March, I had this website roundtable over at websiteroundtable.com. And I had Perry from Brighter Vision and Aaron from Legendary Lion, two great website companies. And we just talked for five days about everything websites. And so I thought to myself, there's people that they just want to bootstrap their website. What could I create for them? What if I made like an authoritative guide to a therapist website from the two companies that I think are doing the best therapist websites? And so they totally gave away all their time for free. We made an ebook out of the transcription with links in it, and it walks people screenshot by screenshot through how to build a website. And so for me, asking myself, what are the things that I needed when I was starting a practice but just got frustrated with, and how do I create that, but then also how do I monetize that? And so when you're creating that good content, whether that's in your private practice, having resources for people dealing with anxiety, depression, cutting, um, whatever those resources are, and then how are you going to monetize that? That could be through direct through counseling. I mean, that's the clearest way to make money off of those resources because each client is going to have a certain worth. If they come 10 times and you charge 120, that person is worth $1,200. That's more than what you're probably going to charge for an e-course. And so focus in on that, creating resources for them so that you can grow the business. And then kind of the next phase is going to be, well, how do I scale this? Because a lot of counselors get trapped in that hour, one hour equals this amount of money. Uh, yeah. if, you, if you can't scale that and add clinicians or add other either products or affiliate links, uh, that's going to be tough to scale your practice. Uh, and you're just going to basically have created a job for yourself, not one that's going to help you thrive. So you just brought up a great point and something that I'm personally curious about. How do you scale the growing from a one-person solo practice to a group practice in a way where, because I've read some articles, um, you know, it sort of seems like, oh, bring in an associate and then you make money and they make money and you're serving more people and your practice grows. But I've read some articles where they pointed out that if you don't do it right, you can end up either just breaking even for more work or losing money when you bring in associates. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah. So when I started, uh, I had one office and we had four people that were using that office throughout the week. So if you think about an average office, uh, there's people that they want to do before work sessions. So 7 a.m. There's people that want to do well after work sessions. So like 6 or 7 p.m. And so every day you've got about 10 to 12 hours of time that you could be having sessions in one office. And so if you think about that Monday through Friday, maybe you don't get evenings on Fridays. Uh, and then maybe half of Saturday, maybe a little bit more on Saturday. I mean, you're really looking at 60 plus hours that a counseling office could be used. And the average full-time counselor is going to be seeing people anywhere 15 to 25 sessions. So really, you could have two, two and a half people per office in there. And so if you have an office already, you already have that set expense. You already have all of your bills it's not going to cost you anything to add an associate to your practice. And so often people think, well, if I add someone, I have to upgrade my office right away. And to me, that's not the case at all. We had four people. Uh, so starting with, you don't have to pay anything extra to bring people in. Uh, and then looking at, well, how do you structure it so that you don't just lose money? Um, and so doing it as a percentage-based system is what I do. Um, everybody's code of ethics and you know their own states determine how, and how you would structure that in a way that's ethical within your specific um, licensure. But for me, uh, having a percentage-based system, it motivates people to go after their own clients while I also then have to look at how do I make this practice seem like a bigger practice than it is. And I don't mean in a shady way, but how do I make sure that mental wellness counseling looks like it's this huge practice? Uh, and so having a quality website in any town, if you Google your town plus counseling, I bet that some of the top ranking websites are just, just plain ugly. And so people are going to make decisions <laughs> based on that. And so if your website looks ugly or if it looks like it would be better as a funeral home website because you have this stream and a tree and some cruddy font, like those are <laughs> things that people are going to, they're going to judge you on that. And so for me, putting money into a decent looking website, decent branding, going out to lunches when I had my full-time job with people, uh, and then slowly building that, that practice. Um, the other side of it is, is that about a year or two ago, I really changed my mindset in regards to when I add people. Before that, I was thinking, you know, I don't have enough flow of new clients coming through our, our intake coordinator to warrant bringing somebody else on. But what I've discovered is that when you bring someone new on, they bring their own network to the practice. And so, for example, I brought on this counselor named Sarah, and she had done a ton of work with foster care, adoption for years. And she had all these connections with people uh, that had been adopted and had dealt with trauma. And she, her first Saturday had, and she only does Saturdays, she had six clients her first Saturday, and all of them were referrals that she found. And so those were people that never would have just discovered mental wellness counseling had I not brought Sarah into the practice. And so pushing yourself to bring people on based on space rather than based on the flow of clients coming in, I think is a really smart way to do it. Mm, that's really helpful. So... Um do you think that there's any benefit or drawback to having either 1099 contractors or W-2 employees for growing a practice? I think both have their place based on kind of what the owner of the business wants to achieve and also what state you're in. There's certain states that their employment law pretty much makes it that you can't have 1099s, uh, where, whereas there's other states um, that are more 1099 friendly. So uh, from my consulting clients, I've talked with folks in California, Texas, 
New York. Um, oh, there was one other. Um, it was a random state like Minnesota or somewhere in the Midwest that they their their employment laws basically made it impossible to have 1099s without getting in trouble. And so you definitely want to consult an attorney or an accountant in regards to your state laws and your state employment laws, and then also look at your code of ethics. So after you've done that, if if you come down to that and it's still it's your decision. The, the times that you'd want a W-2 are based on how much control you want over the person. And so if we look at a W-2, that's a kind of traditional employee. Um, you're going to pay the employee taxes. You're going to pay all of that. So your payroll is going to be increased. Uh, you're going to have to pay them for specific activities they do. So in most states, uh, if you're asking them to blog, if you're asking them to go network with people, you're going to have to pay them for that time. Now, you may have a different rate for that time compared to your counseling time, uh, but that's where you would structure that with an attorney or accountant to make sure that your contract with that person outlined that exact kind of model that you have. Now, on the other side, on the 1099 side, which is what I do, uh, you have less control over the person. So if I have a counselor who shows up and he's wearing flip-flops, I can't tell him, hey, you shouldn't wear flip-flops. That's not very professional. Um, But I can say, you know, in attracting clients, you know, it might be helpful if you made this decision. It's still on them. And so you really want to think about each of those 1099s as sort of a business within a business, almost like a hair salon where everybody kind of rents the chair or gets a percentage of what comes in. And so for me, I like a 1099 personally because it allows them to have their own autonomy. They can write just about everything off um, because they're their own 1099. Uh, So they're able to write off going out to dinner when they're networking with people, if they're going out for drinks, if they're um, building their own promotions. Uh, So for my 1099s, they really like it. And then I also like it because it's a lot less payroll in regards to payroll taxes. Uh, mm-hmm. So so in talking to my attorney, and of course, I have to say, consult your own attorney, um, mm-hmm. the way that we've structured it is that I'm an LLC, actually a PLLC, so professional limited liability company, and then each of my 1099s has their own LLC. Now, in Michigan, that's not very expensive. In some states, uh, I forgot which state it was, I was consulting with someone and she was going to do this model, um, and it was like $900 a year per person, and it just was cost prohibitive for um, these 1099s that might work just part-time. So I pay their LLC, and then their LLC pays themselves. And so I don't write checks to the person, I write checks to another company, Um, which what really happens with that is then if the IRS ever audits me, uh, my attorney has explained that they won't be able to make the case that they're actually W-2 employees because I'm paying another company for their services. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So, um, and if you have, I don't know if this is too far into it, but if you have 1099 employees, do you provide health insurance benefits and things like that? Or do they get their own? No, they get their own. So the more that you kind of offer them, the more they look like a W-2. And so you want to think about a 1099 in the same way you would think about someone you would pay to mow your lawn. You're not going to tell them, hey, you can't wear a red t-shirt when you're on my property. You're not going to tell them, here's how you market your lawn care. You're just going to tell them the business that you want them to do, the final outcome. So mowing your grass or the final outcome I want is I want you to do good counseling. I want you to show up on time. I want you to get payment. I want you to do the actual counseling within the ethics. And so outlining what's the objective, but then how they get there. So how do they keep their paperwork? I don't audit their files. I don't make sure that they're within their code of ethics. That's something that they have to do as part of their contract with me. Oh, great. That's really helpful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. These are the kinds of questions that, you know, 
people just wonder about and then go, oh, this is too complicated. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'd be happy to. I have um, contracts for 1099s and supervision and practices that I can give you a discount code to give 75 bucks off of um, that for your listeners. So I'll give you those details and we can put them in the show notes too. Awesome. Thank you so much. Sure thing. This is going to be, by the time people finish listening to this, they're going to be starting their own businesses up the next day. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, um, you know, we were talking about entrepreneurship. And um, for me, you know, there's one thing to be a therapist. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used Therapy Notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years. My issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. And to deal with the vicarious trauma self-care and burnout prevention stuff that I do just to help me in my work as a therapist. But then we have entrepreneurship itself. I feel like, for one thing, it's such an emotional roller coaster. I mean, one day you're like elated and five minutes later or two hours later in the same day, you're dejected and it just goes up and down like that, especially when you first start out. Um, and, and the more you try new things and add services and add programs, you know, you're, you're just starting that roller coaster again. How do you avoid getting burned out in entrepreneurship? Yeah, Laura, I think that's such a great point, Laura. Um, cause it's true. We, we deal with the trauma of the sessions or the issues of the sessions, but then also we have all the things in our mind running around of just like, Oh, I have to pay that bill and I have to do this and I have to do that. And so I think I start with what do I want to get out of life? And so I see my business as fueling what I want to get out of life more than just making money. And so I have a four year old and an 18 month now 19 month old in just a couple of days. And so I want to be not just a good dad, but I want to be a great dad. I want to be a dad that's there. I want to be a dad that plays and we have fun. And uh, so I start with what's the end goal here. And for me, when things don't line up with that goal, then I start to ask myself, well, what can I get rid of? So every Friday since last May, I've taken off. And so I have a three-day weekend every weekend. Uh, there's a couple exceptions to that. If once in a while I have like a client crisis, um, I might see them or 
Uh, if, for example, um, there's we have the licensed professional counselors of Northern Michigan meeting. It's every other month on the Friday, and I'm the president, so I probably should show up for that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but like when I entered into that, I talked to my wife about okay, every other month I'm going to have to work on a Friday morning. Are you okay with that? And compared to my old life when I had to work till five on Fridays, she's like, sure, like that's fine. Um, or if I work a late night doing supervision, we do a four-hour supervision once a month rather than weekly supervision because I have people that drive in and all from the stakes. They want to work together in a supervisory relationship. I might have, you know, three or four hours at home that morning. And so I flex my time around in that way. Mm-hmm. So I start with uh, what are the things that are going to help me be a good dad, a good husband, a good person? And so, you know, every Thursday or Friday night, depending on when the guys are playing basketball, I've been playing basketball recently. Uh, I try on Fridays to be home and fully present with my girls. I might do a little bit of emails, but, you know, for the most part, you know, we have fun things like tomorrow we're going to go see the Peanuts movie because it's playing for free at this one movie theater downtown. And so scheduling things in that are fun for the family. And then working back from there and saying, well, now how do I make sure that I'm most productive during my time when I'm at the office? And so I, I never check my emails first thing in the morning because when you do that, that's somebody else's agenda saying, I need your help with X, Y, or Z. And maybe I don't want to do those things first thing in the morning and I don't want them clouding up my head. And so I always start with what's my goal for today? And so on just the notes section of my iPhone, um, I have in all caps today and then a few spaces down, I have soon. And so I'll copy and move things up to the today section and I'll pick two to three things that to me would really uh, achieve progress forward. And so, for example, yesterday, I wanted to make sure that I ordered these two books that I'm really excited about. That one's a, a speaking book and the other's a productivity book. So that was something that I wanted to like make sure I did. I wanted to finish up a speaker profile for uh, a speaking engagement coming up. Uh, I also wanted to reach out to some state organizations that I think I'd be a good fit for for doing some trainings with them because those are going to all move the needle forward for me. Speaking on a larger scale, traveling on a larger scale, meeting new people that haven't heard about my work, that's going to help move the whole practice and the whole consulting business forward. Whereas just checking emails, it may move it forward, it may not. So once I've achieved those sorts of things, then I feel great. I feel like I got things done that are going to move the needle forward. So if I get stuck to an email for an hour, uh, then it's not a big deal. So then I might jump into email. I might block out time to work on other things. Uh, So when I look at my schedule for the week for Monday through Thursday, I have a number of things that are on repeat every week. So every Thursday morning, I block out two and a half hours uh, to work on the podcast or blogging because I know that on Tuesday, my podcast goes live every single week. And if I've got behind, I want to make sure I have that time to record, edit, get my podcast up, get the show notes done, make the social media graphics so that it's all set to go for Tuesday. Uh, And so making sure that I have those things that repeat. So every Monday morning um, at I think it's 10 o'clock, I have check emails because I'm not checking many emails on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. I want to make sure that people don't go four days without hearing from me. Three days seems like it's okay, But more than that, I want to make sure that I really tear through those emails from from the weekend and get back down to my inbox zero. Zero. Oh yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I archive. I archive. Delete. Uh, if I if I need to take action on something, I put it into my calendar as to when I'm going to take action. As a reminder, I don't just leave it sitting in my inbox. Uh, so uh, that's been a really effective strategy to make sure that I'm scheduling in exactly what I need to get done. And then if it's not in my calendar, it doesn't happen. Do you have any? Productivity tips with email because for me that is the biggest albatross. 
Well, Laura, tell me what kinds of things with email like suck you in. Well, even the okay. So here's my dilemma. First of all, I have a bad habit of checking my email on my phone. Like as soon as I open my eyes, I know that I need to change that. So you don't have to tell me that one. <laughs> but when I, I'll check my email and the problem is I'll check my email on my phone and then I can flag it on my phone to follow up with it, but it doesn't translate to my inbox on my Gmail on my computer. So they're not flagged in the inbox. So I'm basically having to look at them again and I lose track of things because so many emails are coming in. If I have say 30 in my inbox that shows on the screen before I scroll to the next page. And so I don't have a zero inbox like you and I wish I did. Um, you know, whatever's on the next page, I may not even see again. So like getting it, I don't have a way to easily put it into a calendar to say, follow up on this. It's just like all manual and yeah. it's very, very time consuming. So if we were to take a hundred emails and break them into like three or four categories, what three or four categories would those fall into? Probably client emails. So people who contact me for services, um, people I'm setting up podcast interviews with or, you know, related to the podcast and all the lists I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which is probably 80% of the volume of what comes in my email. And, um, and then, mm, that's probably it. Okay. So I would start with, um, which lists have you not read their emails or taken action on their emails in the last two weeks. Cause that's a pretty good indicator of how useful they are for you. So I would unsubscribe from any of those email lists that you're not getting information from, um, or in Gmail set up a, uh, automatic archive for those emails. So maybe there's things that come through from me or from Zinni me or Julie Hanks or whoever you're subscribed to that you, <laughs> that you want that you want to go back and look at someday. Um, and I'm guessing that someday is never going to come if you don't read it the first time, but <laughs> say for some reason you want to keep them just in case, um, just set up a rule that, um, any email that comes through from them, uh, from that email automatically gets archived. Now, what you'd want to watch for is like, for example, you and I have been emailing about this podcast. If you know that you're looking for an email from me or Julie Hanks or Zinni me, um, it's going to automatically be archived instead of having that back and forth. And so that's where you'd want to maybe turn that rule off if you know that you're having you know myself on your podcast. So if that's going to solve 80% of it, I would, I would start there, um, unsubscribe or set up some rule within Gmail. And it may take you an hour to figure all that out, but that's going to save you so many hours of time. Um, then second, asking yourself, like, where's, where's the money in regards to these emails? So you subscribe to those email lists because they're going to teach you how to do marketing to eventually get more clients. And then you have clients emailing you that are clients ready to pay you. So the purpose of the email lists is to get clients, but then you're getting clients that you're not responding to in a timely manner. So 
maybe you look at, okay, how do I get to these emails quicker? It may be that you hire a virtual assistant that's going to do follow-up phone calls or emails or all the emails that come through your counseling website go to this VA. Um, and a lot of people think dollar signs when they hear virtual assistant. Um, but Zoe, our intake coordinator for mental wellness counseling, she does all the intake phone calls. So when you dial our phone number and hit zero, it rings to her cell phone in Texas. She says, mental wellness counseling, this is Zoe. Um, it's our local phone number. People don't have any idea that she's down in Houston. Uh, and then uh, she also gets all of the intake emails. So when someone emails intake at mentalwellnesscounseling.com, that goes directly to Zoe instead of to me. Now, that does a couple of things. It frees you up um, to spend time on the things that are more kind of CEO type things for your practice. Even if it's just you, like to have that big picture thoughts. Uh, so it frees you up uh, as well. It adds some professionalism. I mean, imagine if you are scheduling an appointment with a doctor um, for your annual physical and your your doctor was the one that emailed or called you back and said, hi, this is Dr. March just calling you back to schedule an appointment. You'd be like, wait a second. This is kind of weird. Why is my doctor calling me instead of someone that works at his front desk staff? So that would be a red flag. But somehow in the counseling world, we, we say, oh, no, no one can do it like me. Um, but actually what I found is that it's become more streamlined where then Zoe has those conversations with my new clients, gets them scheduled in, and they just automatically appear in my schedule. Um, and so I pay her 15 bucks an hour, and I bet that I can't think of a month that I've paid more than $150 for her to run the entire practice. And so that's for, for me with an entire practice of nine people. And Only so for most her $150 a month and she's able to do all that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So she's responding to emails, phone calls. We've really kind of streamlined how she does it so that she's not wasting time. And so we, we think that it's going to cost all this money. Uh, but Laura, imagine if you knew for 50 bucks a month, someone would respond to emails, um, they'd schedule people in and you would get in more intakes because of it. Uh, your practice then can grow and that $50 then has become $600 that month. And so it actually made you money rather than make you lose money. Yeah, that's pretty compelling. Yeah. So then all you'd be left with with your email would be current clients that are saying, oh my gosh, my son did this. What do I do? Which of course you want to respond to that for good customer care. You don't want your intake coordinator responding to those. So you'd have that. Uh, and then you'd be left with your podcast guests. So you've just taken 90% of your emails off your email. And then you can actually take action on things that require you to take action on them rather than someone else that could take action on it for you. Hmm. Very. Sounds so simple. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And people are like, you do so much. I'm like, yeah, I worked 91 hours last month. It's crazy. Like, I mean, like for the whole month, 91, not per week. And, yeah. and so, so when you set up these systems, it becomes a permanent solution rather than great. I got through my email, but like this flood of email keeps coming. Well, figure out where that water source is, turn it off, and then you can actually make some progress on your practice. Wow, that's so helpful. And can I ask you, because people are always talking about this, therapists in the Facebook groups that I'm in, um, about finding a virtual assistant. And basically, people will say, does anyone know a good virtual assistant? And then everyone will go to that person's virtual assistant and hire them. And it doesn't seem that most of us have an understanding that different virtual assistants do different things and how to select one that actually meets your needs. Yeah. So I think that that's a great point, Laura, because if you don't know what you want to get out of your virtual assistant, it's going to cost you more money and you're going to hire the wrong person. And so I have, let's see, I only have three virtual assistants right now and they each have very different roles, but I was up to, I think eight at one point. Uh, and so 
really knowing what is it that you want them to do. Answer phone calls, respond to emails, schedule people in. Okay, I can find someone that will do that. If you want someone that's going to do everything, uh, that's probably not going to happen. And so starting with what do I want to achieve? So Laura's dealing with all these emails and getting back to clients on time. I want someone that will call, schedule, and respond to emails. So for that situation, you want someone that's more personable. You want someone that uh, probably English is their first language um, or maybe is a U.S. citizen because it's going to just be a little bit easier with time zones. Uh, And so you're going to want to find someone probably that's more of a natural referral than someone that you find on like Upwork.com. And so I would start with just post on Facebook. I'm hiring someone to work two to three hours a week to help me with uh, scheduling uh, intakes and would love to have a personal referral from all of my friends. Uh, If you know a stay-at-home mom or if you know someone that's between jobs that uh, would be willing to commit to six to 12 months working two to three hours a week, uh, I'd love to have you direct message me or private message me. That's how I found my first virtual assistant who then left for a full-time job and referred me to Zoe, who was a friend of hers. Uh, And so what happens then is that you can negotiate directly with them rather than have an agency that's spending, you know, taking a portion of the money that you have to go through all their processes. You have to have a minimum amount you spend per month. You can then give bonuses. You can send care packages. You can make it more personable uh, for that type of person. Now, if you're looking for someone that can help with like ghostwriting your blogs or you know just getting some research done for some of your blog posts using something like upwork.com can be a really effective and co- a cost effective and time effective way to find somebody I really before you mentioned it I've never heard of upwork.com Really what is it, what is it? Uh, so the way Upwork works is that it's sort of like freelancers all hang out there. So it used to be, um, let's see, what, what did it used to be? I forgot. It was about a year ago. It was, there was a couple other names um, that it was known as. Um, but Upwork.com, it's freelancers that do a lot of different things. So they may um, do coding for websites. They might do logo design. They might do ghost writing. They might uh, answer phones. Uh, and so you can post a job and then invite people to apply for it. So for example, let's say I was writing a blog series that was about um, marketing a private practice. I might say I need someone to do some research in regards to marketing a private practice for a blog series I'm doing. This is going to be a 10-part blog series, uh, and th- these are the spec- specifications that I have for the kind of research I want. I want one um, journal article about marketing um, that has to do with small businesses that I can cite. Uh, I want you to break down the essentials of that, uh, and that's going to be kind of your interview. Uh, and then if you end up getting selected for the job, then uh, you'll that'll count towards your 10 uh, research things that you're going to be doing for me. And so then you just put out your price that you're going to have – you know, these 10 articles, it'll, you know, you'll pay a hundred bucks to have all 10 of them. And then people will apply for the job. Um, they could be in India, they could be in the Philippines, they could be in the US. Um, I've got applications from all over the place. My podcast transcription guy is in the Philippines and Hector rocks it out every single week. Wow. That's pretty incredible. And thanks for telling us about that resource too. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, along with everything you've mentioned. And but it's I'm just kind of struck by the idea that you don't have to because when we're thinking about building our businesses, it's like, well, could I do this? Could I do that? Oh, I don't know if I know enough about that to do it. Or, you know, I mean, we want to stay within our expertise. But if you have a general idea of how something works, like marketing a private practice, but you don't want to, you know, 
take the time to look into what are the latest ideas and all that kind of stuff and being able to ask someone else to just, you know what you want, you give them an outline and they pull it together and then you tweak it versus you just having to sit down and do all that back research and work. Um, it's just sounds so much easier. Just Yeah. And I think, so I think part of it is depending on the goals of your blog. So for practice of the practice, uh, I've written almost everything on there, almost every word. Uh, when we were going to have our baby back in 2012, no, 2014. Um, sorry, got all the dates mixed up. So 2014, uh, I knew that I wanted to have a bunch of blog posts go live on kind of business basics. So I hired someone to write, I think it was like 13 articles to go weekly. Uh, and so that there was still some activity there. I still made the graphics for it. And then I did kind of a once over on it. But I wanted to make sure that I still stayed consistent. So a lot of those business basics uh, were written by someone in the Philippines. And then I had a, a business student in Chicago that did the editing for them. But, you know, you want your personality to come through too. If your goal on your website is to just rank higher, then yeah, it doesn't matter who writes it. But if you want them to get a sense of your tone as a counselor, decide if they want to work with you, you definitely, even if you have someone do some ghostwriting, you want to make sure that your own personality is going to come through as well. Absolutely. And that's, I think for me, that's kind of one of the sticking points and something you said about um, how we would think it was strange if our doctor called to schedule the the doctor's appointment. Um, I've definitely had that feeling of, I want to be the one who answers my phone. I want to be the one who talks with that potential client because, you know, playing devil's advocate, when you call a place and you have to go through a complicated voicemail menu and you're trying to just get some help, it can be so overwhelming. And then having, you know, you speak to someone who seems really disengaged and doesn't, you know, you get no sense of what the therapist is like. That's what I don't want. But I believe, you know, what you've talked about with Zoe, you can train her to be sure to convey the same kind of warmth and you know, the message that you would convey if you were the one answering the phone without taking you away from client work, which is, you know, what you're doing for your business to bring in income. Absolutely. And having a frequently asked questions section that they can just read to somebody on the phone is or reply with an email is really important. So why don't you take insurance? I want her to be able to reply exactly how I would reply, not just make it up on the spot. And so making sure she has that warmth. Because uh, what frequently happens is, you know, there's, yes, there's those phone trees that people get stuck in um, to make an appointment. So that's one side of it. Uh, for us, the first sentence you pretty much hear is, welcome to Mental Wellness Counseling. If you want to schedule a new appointment, press zero. So then that there rings directly to Zoe. Yeah. Um, and then it goes into everything else. Uh, so then they get an actual person that answers the phone versus if you're in a session, 45 minutes later, even if you check your voicemail in between sessions, you're not going to probably call them back right then because you've got another session or another session. You want to wait till you have some time to get into it to talk with them. So now they've waited three or four hours to get a reply. Whereas if you know someone called me and they got a person, hey, we're ready to schedule. Are you ready to do this? Um, making it easy for that person to decide to come in, um, I think a virtual assistant in almost any situation is going to be what helps get people to that next level to get more clients. Yeah. And that's another great point about that is that you can use your website or something like this, like a podcast or videos where people can get the sense of who you are. So they're not getting that just by finding you on a therapist finder 
um, listing and then looking at your picture and saying, oh, they seem nice, and then calling and trying to get more information about the therapist. When you make your website and your blogs and your podcast or other ways that you reach clients represent who you are, they already feel that sense of this is the person I want to work with. I like the, how they are. And then, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and even thinking about the content you're creating with this podcast, so maybe you would have someone transcribe each of these podcasts and then you do that as a separate blog post on the website where it's an interview with Joe Sanok. And so then you get that SEO from it. And then maybe you take your top 10 interviews and you put it into an ebook that's a download for a lead magnet. So you know, what a nine, great idea. Thank nine, you. Yeah, nine or ten case studies of therapists that are rocking it out. Or, and then that becomes an email opt-in on your website for people to sign up for your email list where they get that free ebook. Uh, and all it is is transcriptions that maybe you've added a little bit extra to, you know, like their pictures and reformatted it. Uh, but that you basically have, you know, your top nine case studies of, of awesome therapists uh, and what, you know, the big takeaways are from them. Uh, and then you're not having to recreate a brand new ebook, a brand new blog post, a brand new podcast. Each podcast then has you know two or three or four different purposes to save you that time. Yeah, that's really helpful. And you know, I think in the past I would have thought, well, that's kind of disingenuous to take something you already did and then repackage it and give it to people. But on the other side of it, you know it's easier for people to just find the information that they're interested in all in one place when you put it together like that. So it's not disingenuous at all. It's making it more accessible to people who want it. Well, absolutely. Because like I think about just recently with the bombings in Brussels, uh, I, I think my daughter was sleeping, but I wanted to like read about it. So CNN, they transcribed what they had reported on on a blog post so I could read it rather than watch the video. If I, had to, if I could only have watched the video, I would have gone to a different site because I didn't want to have that audio waking everybody up, yep. whereas just reading it was really important to me. So people are going to consume things in a different way uh, or in the way that they want. And the big question is, are you going to provide those multiple formats for them to consume or are they going to have to go to somebody else? Yeah, that's great info. I, this is so helpful. I'm like really excited. <laughs> I Thanks, hope people Laura. who are listening are going to be inspired too and say, oh my, I can do so much. So um, to finish up, can you talk about um, where people can get more from you and you know anything else you have going on that you want people to know about? Yeah, absolutely. So the three kind of big groups that I work with are people that are starting a private practice, people that are growing or scaling a private practice, oftentimes that's groups, uh, and then people that are moving into consulting. And so I have different resources for kind of each of those three groups. And so people that are starting a practice, I have a free 28-step checklist to take you through exactly what you need to do to launch your private practice. And then I'll, as after that, I'll send you a video of how to start a private practice for $200 uh, in one day. And so it kind of walks you through where I would spend 200 bucks to start a practice. And so you can get that at practiceofthepractice.com forward slash start. Uh, and then if you're growing your practice, just head on over to practiceofthepractice.com forward slash grow. And you can get a free copy of my ebook that's usually 10 bucks on Amazon. Uh, and then if you're looking at doing consulting, uh, if you go over to becomeaconsultanttoday.com, I have my uh, podcast over there. There's a bunch of downloads for how to start becoming a consultant. Awesome. Thank you. And I love the way you have it broken down. Start, grow, and then becoming a consultant. That's that's just clear and simple and 
easy for people to find and navigate. Yeah, thank you. Joe, thank you so much for being on today. This was really fun and super informative. I'm excited to share all this great information that you've offered with my audience. Well, thanks so much, Laura. I really appreciate the opportunity. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hey there, it's Laura Reagan again. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Joe Sanok from Practice of the Practice. He offered so many tips and tools. I was just amazed, and I hope you got a lot out of it. The show notes will be posted soon with links to everything he mentioned, and I hope you enjoyed this and found it useful. Love to hear your feedback. Please go to iTunes and leave a comment rating and review. I would love to hear what you think about this practice building series and this episode and all the other episodes. So thanks again for listening. And until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, visit Laura's website, at www.lauraregan.lcswc.com.